how to pick being this tough Tongan guy who's a good football player when really that's not who I am. Like, I love to write, you know, I'm really passive by nature, but at that point where I had to pick, like, I'm a good football player, I'm tough, this is how they act. Okay, thanks for listening to uh, Vail Media's Now You Know podcast. Uh, today we have a pretty special guest. Uh, he's a former Utah Ute, a former NFL player, and uh, recently a mental health advocate, and we're going to get into all of that. Um, but welcome to the show, uh, Steve Fifita. Will, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Dude, I'm excited too. I want, Just to kind of give a snapshot of where we're at today, you've had a successful career as an athlete. Um, you even you went from there to being a uh, Playing at the collegiate level to the professional level, then you went into coaching, and uh, and now um, we'll find out here later that you're working on a on kind of a bigger project um, that that you can announce here in a little bit. Um, but I want to let's just start off with uh, the background. Um, where where did you grow up, and uh, and what kind of kid were you when you were growing up? Yeah, so I'm from Southern California, Orange County, and then. Um, the Fountain Valley, Huntington Beach area, to be exact. Um, that's where I grew up. And it's, what's funny is it's predominantly a, a, a white area, it's the suburbs. Um, but when I grew up, there was, there was a couple other Tongan families that I grew up around, and you know, like we, it was kind of our village, and that's who we saw on the weekends. And then on the weekdays, you're in school and you see um, everybody else. So it was kind of like living a, almost like living a double life. Yeah. Um, the weekends you're with either playing sports or you're with your uh, Tongan side of your family or the, the Tongan people in the community. And then during the week, you know, you're in school um, in a totally different culture and um, living by some different rules. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a good blend. Um, but I think somewhere along the way there, um, I, didn't, I didn't know how to... I didn't know how to uh, mesh those personalities in, into one person. And talking about being kind of around culture, different different types of cultures, right? Yeah. So like growing up around a bunch of white people, and then spending a lot of time with with Tongan people, you know, and the, the norms are pretty different between yeah. um, those lifestyles. And then the other crazy thing is I've always been a football player and then I really started to get good when I was young like a lot of people knew I'd be a good football player when I was a young guy um, but what's interesting now looking back is that I do this so I have this reflection time at night and what I do at night is I, uh, I call it homework for life I read it in a book called uh, Storyteller but you take these moments from your life when you realize something from your past or like why you're a certain way and one of the realizations I had last week was where my life really started to shift was like almost going into high school, you know, that age where people know you are a good football player. And that started to become my identity, and I was, it was mixed with those two cultures. Um, and I had to pick one, and I decided to pick this. I had to pick being this tough Tongan guy who's a f- good football player, when really that's not who I am. Like, I love to write. You know, I'm really passive by nature. But at that point where I had to pick, like, I'm a good football player, I'm tough, this is how they act. And I had an older brother, you know, like, he, get, he sees a fight and he wants to be in it. And so I started to like live this lifestyle, want to be like him um, and be real assertive and um, kind of be, try to become this alpha. 
And now, only now as I look back do I realize, like, that was the start of kind of this personality of who I didn't want to be. And it got worse and worse because the older I got, the better I got. And then by the time I got to the NFL, you know, really, you couldn't tell me nothing. I, I would do whatever I want. And I was always right. And I was like, I'm an NFL player, you know. And not until recently when I got into that mess I was in um, did I take a step back and be like, man, a lot of these decisions I made, they don't really reflect who I who I truly am. Um, but, yeah, I, in doing that assignment, that homework for life, I realized, like, when I was, like, a five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, like, I was real, like, fun, lucky, you know, like, easygoing. You know, I was, like, Snoopy for Halloween. Right. And I used to get made fun of for being Snoopy, but I was like, I like <laughs> this stuff. You know, like, this is my personality. And then as I grew up, I started to take myself so serious, um, and I kind of morphed into a different guy. And I, I think some of that stuff would have happened naturally, you know, regardless. As you grow up, you know, you're going to be more serious. But um, as I look back, maybe it's just my, my lens I'm looking back with it on. But as I look back, you know, I kind of wish that I would have just been true to who I was the whole time and been like, man, I love to write. I love to chill by myself. You know, I love to uh, just sit and think. Um, you know, uh, there's this funny story in college. Uh, I had a car, and in my car, I had this um, box full of poems I wrote to my, she was my girlfriend at the time, she's my wife now, and then I let the boys borrow my car, <laughs> and they came back, and they were like, memorized the, uh, the poems, and they're like, man, you're lame, bro, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being so embarrassed, like, no, no, you know, I, that was way back then, and, <laughs> but that's really who I was, it's like, you know, and I just kind of wish that um, I would embrace that side of me a little bit more. Do you, do you think that's a cultural thing? Um, like, uh, or I, I guess here's, the, here's a better question. What, what makes that decision difficult? You mean kind of deciding like, you know what, I'm going to be this guy because that's kind of maybe the societal norm of, you know what I mean, what I should be if I'm going to be a football player. I think it has something to do with football, but I do think it had a lot to do with the, the cultural um, ways of the time. You know, because at that time, you know, it's the it's late 80s, early 90s, and that's when gangs are real big, you know, and that's when, like, um, that's when that influence is, like, real strong on, on kids' especially lives. Especially in California. And especially, well, not where exactly where we were from, but everybody else we dealt with, you know. So I remember being at a, uh, at a like, a family function, a, a get-together, and it was me and my cousin, um, Manoa, we was together. And these guys, they're from L.A., and we, you know, there's uh, Manoa's family. And they pulled up to us, and they're like, hey, you guys need to uh, bang TCG down there so we can get bigger. And I was like, I'm not a gang member. And I remember him saying, like, he's like, every tongue is a gang member. You know, and like stuff like that just kind of stuck with me. And it's like, well, this is what you have to be to be tongue, and this is what you have to be. And then I think for me, like, the balance was maybe if I was from the inner city where I didn't have to try to prove my tongue you know, like coming from a, a white neighborhood, I've always felt like I had to prove how Tongan I was, you know. So I would always go the extra mile. I would always be in trouble because I'd be like, man, I'm going to I'm gonna prove to these people that I'm Tongan. You know, like they're never going to be like, Steve's a, oh, man, Steve's not Tongan. He's not going to do this. So I'd always go like overboard and get in trouble. But I feel like maybe if I grew up somewhere where I was just secure in being myself, then maybe I could have. So I think there's a, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I do think um, – culture was was a big part of it was like at that time you know gangs were so popular like everybody wanted to be from it it was such a lifestyle 
Um, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. If, if this was a few years ago, I probably wouldn't admit it. But now it's like it's still a little embarrassing. But it really is the truth of like you fall into these patterns just because everybody else is is kind of doing that. And I think that's the hardest part about about being a young kid is like you're so easily influenced. Um, and I know, you know, I fell for it. It's interesting. So we interviewed uh, Miles, Miles Kinnikinny, Mr. C. And um, and it happened so early, man. He said that he was 12 years old when he was first approached and said, you mean from, from some guys in California who got sent over here because their mom said they need to get straightened out by their uncle or auntie over here. And they were like 19 years old, and they, they pulled they pulled Miley aside and and uh, and said, I mean, hey, this is something that you got to start doing. And he said he was just running around, uh, you know, just kind of being a, a little rowdy kid. And you mean some 19 year old kids tell you, and that's just kind of the role that that he followed suit. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. He would probably word it differently, but it's interesting how. You know I mean that influence, especially during this time, the early '90s, yeah. late '80s, when gangs was a thing. Yeah. And so, it's a. Do you think there's something? If you could change something culturally, with the knowledge that you have now, you mean moving forward, maybe for for your kids and and for the rest of maybe the Polynesian community, what what do you think you would change? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, but I, I do think that like the. Uh, the narrative has changed a little bit. You know, I think people have changed up. Like, it's not cool to be a, a ignorant anymore. It's not cool to not, um, you know, take care of yourself. So, I don't know exactly. And the other thing is, again, I think this is one of my big insecurities that I always had to um, overcompensate for is that I'm not your traditional Tongan person. And even my dad is not a traditional Tongan. So, like, if he goes to a funeral or something, he's just going to wear a suit and, uh, and they're going to have to beg him to be like, Steve, can you please wear that loud? Can you please, you know, like, and he'll go, okay. You know, but for the most part, it's him. Like, he doesn't he doesn't fall into the traditional um, customs, and he kind of does stuff his own way. And I love that because I do stuff my own way, but then I also hate it. You know, like, it's a double edge for me because I hate it because then I'm like, well, I don't know all the Tongan um, customs, and I don't know what you're supposed to do to, you know, to fit in. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic with me. And I I think it's interesting for my girls. So, like, I have two girls right now. I have three girls total. Two of them are in, in Southern California with my family. And they've been there probably since the quarantine started. And the reason I um, really feel comfortable is because I want them to grow up in that, um, you know, like in a Tongan household. And yeah. just feel that. So my wife's white, you know. So, like, at our house, we just kind of. We do stuff. It's pretty much our own way. Yeah. But my girls have been in Southern California, and I want them to grow up and learn, you know, like a lot of those customs and just be around that so they're, they're more comfortable um, around that as they grow up. But honestly, I, just back to the question, I don't know if there's one thing I would change. Um, I don't know, but I, I feel like there's a lot more of, there's a lot more people out there who are um, much more aware of the issues here in the um, in the states, whereas when my parents came, they didn't know. Like we could tell them anything, and they would believe it. And I remember I would get in trouble all the time and get sent home. I'd be like, "That teacher's racist," <laughs> and I know they weren't. And my mom would be like, "Really?" And I'd be like, "Oh my god!" And I remember her like one teacher. Her name was Miss Drum. I'd be like, "Miss Drum hates me. She's racist." And my mom would be like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it." <laughs> so I think just, just the awareness that 
um, parents have now compared to what our parents had will, will help and, and change a lot. Um, but no, one thing, I couldn't put my finger on, on one thing. No, well, I, I, I relate to what you're saying, though, because, um, so, my dad's song and my mom's Samoan, so, uh, but we grew up, I grew up here in Utah, and, you know I mean, uh, my dad's Tongan side is pretty much all I grew up with, but then I grew up in Sandy in a white neighborhood, so I kind of had, like, a weird combination of, of things, and I didn't realize it until maybe I started becoming a teenager that I would, I would talk different. Like when I'm with my Palangi friends and then I will go to Glendale to like the family reunion and I will just talk maybe more with a poly accent. I don't know if that's a, a it's a thing, but I, I didn't think it was a thing. And then one time I was listening to the radio, someone called, I was like, that dude's poly. I know he's poly. So it was, it was kind of an interesting thing that my, and you know, your cousins and stuff start making fun of you. Like, hey, why do you talk different when you're over there? <laughs> so, so I relate to that. It's funny. And I was really I was really embarrassed about that growing up. I was like, dang, man, like, like they're always making fun. They're saying my clothes are tighter than their clothes. Cause I, like, no, I just wear what the kids wear in my school, man. Like, they're telling me I'm wearing baby gap clothes, man. Like, but, um, totally. but I, interestingly enough, I think... Um, I feel like, you know, in a weird way later on, it's benefited me. And I don't know if, the, if it'll be the same for your daughters where, you know what I mean? Like, I, I you know I mean, it's just social things that, you know what I mean? My, my cousins make fun of, my whole family does, just because it's like this weird thing where now I have a bunch of Palangi friends, a bunch of my white friends, and a bunch of my Tongan family and friends. And, and uh, you know, where before I used to feel like, Oh, I gotta be this way, this way, and it was separate. But now, I can understand it. That collectively, it's a network and part of my ecosystem socially. So, I I, I thought it was interesting that you brought that up about your daughters, because uh, I feel like in a way that I kind of relate to them. Even even my dad one time, or you know, because we were raised half someone, so we only spoke English. So the language was never passed on because they couldn't speak to each other in their native tongues, and. Um, and then, you know, sometimes, and my dad, you know, he's good with it, but then later on we'll go to something and we don't do something properly according to custom or culture, and we'll get in the car afterwards, like, man, I can't believe you guys don't know this stuff, and it's like, oh, sorry, we didn't know, like, you know what I mean? So it's just uh, an interesting take on maybe cultures colliding um, oh, totally. together. Yeah, so, like, that's an interesting one you say about um – about talking because I'm like I, you know I'm very much like that like depending on what crowd I'm around right then my voice changes up and then you know you yeah you kind of try to fit in um, with whoever you're around instead of just being yourself and like yeah that's totally a struggle I faced and then the other interesting thing I think you said is like it has it has been a benefit for me though is because I totally see things from a different perspective now like I don't just 100%. see 100% you know I don't just see stuff like as a tongue and you know, like a Tongan male, I see it, you know, I see my, my wife's white perspective and then she's a liberal, right? So then I see that side of it. And, but yeah, but just being around different and being able to, um, not that I was just around them, but I like immerse myself in those, with those, with those people. Like I really understand like a bunch of different cultures. So yeah, I'm not totally, um, fluid or, or not like, um, know everything about the Tongan culture, but I know stuff about a lot of different cultures and it has like widened my perspective of a lot of things going on. Like 
I feel like I have a unique perspective on what's going on right now just in the country just because of my background of like being in sports and like being around so many different races and then understanding both sides of but you know when you're on social media or something you're just seeing like everybody's kind of going to extremes um, I feel kind of lucky that I have a perspective that kind of I feel it's compassionate to like a lot of different things because you've been exposed to it right yeah yeah I, I, I relate it's that same thing where I you know, I mean I felt like I was really embarrassed about like oh dang they're gonna know that I'm like you know talking different or but now I think you you, you probably worded it best you know I mean being exposed to it gives you different perspective and broadens your horizon so yeah no for sure so yeah we just I love it I love it now and now um, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is just figure out um, exactly who I am and you know, and it's, it's a slow process. I, I walked away from coaching last year in, in August. Um, so since August, I, I, you know, I went to therapy and, and been doing a lot of that stuff. And that's kind of where I'm doing all this self-reflection um, and just figuring out what what I got going in my life and <clears throat> what the issues were and what I want for myself moving forward. Well, we, we were talking a little bit about that um, right before this. And I think... Um, Maybe people don't know. Maybe people who followed your career, but I didn't realize that you had, as as an athlete, in part of your self reflection, you you've uh, kind of gleaned on uh, some wisdom from even your athletic coaches. And I didn't realize until we had just spoke that there's you have kind of three of the modern day great coaches in uh, the game of football. You played under Urban Meyer at Utah, um, Bill Belichick with the Patriots, and Nick Saban when he was with. Uh, the Miami Dolphins. Um, what? Uh, what? When? When? We talked a little bit about this, but what? When people ask you, well, what did you get from all of them? What's? What, what, what's your answer? Well, one of the things that they, I think, one of the most interesting things that they have in common is they used to do this thing where they kind of, uh, you know, they mess with your mind a little bit and they address the whole group. They address the group and they they pick out. They say just. You know, there's a few of you guys doing this thing the right way, but for the majority of you guys, you're not. And then they go into this rant of, like, you're really playing with your mind and trying to manipulate you to think, well, am I one of those guys who is doing it the right way, or am I one of those guys who needs to pick it up? And they, it, I remember it had such a, a, a profound effect on me. And then one of the reasons I remember is because that was, like, one of the last messages I heard before I got cut from the Patriots. And the last thing that Belichick said in that, like, that rant, he goes, if you can only do one thing around here, you're not going to last long unless you're really, really good at it. You know, he's like, the more stuff you can do, and he goes, and it's something he's famous for saying, but the more you can do. Um, but I remember just feeling like he's talking right to me. And I remember at Miami and at Utah, like Urban and um, and Nick would have that, that ability to, like, speak to the group, but then really pick out, you know, like make it feel like it was so unique to each person. At least that's the way I felt, and that's the way I took it. And I would do that to my group when I was coaching. You know, like I would use that trick, <laughs> and I would make them feel. And I remember I was hear the kids talking like, "Oh, he's only talking to Austin Graves, or he's only talking to Rashid." Like, you know, like part yeah. of the group is like he's only talking to this guy. And that's kind of the, what I wanted them to feel is like there's a group of kids that I am talking to that are doing it right, and I want the rest of you guys to kind of catch up to them. But I never really made it that specific. Um, but that's how I kind of got that trick from them. And that's what I would say is, like, what connects them the most is their ability to reach 
um, so many different types of personalities. And there's way more to it than that, but I talk about um, there's just there's just lessons I learned about how they reach um, a big group of guys and a big group of alphas, you know, especially in the NFL. That's a skill, man. That's a that's totally a talent, you know. So. Um, I think that's one of the things that separates them is, is their ability to, to reach those guys and, and keep them, um, sustain that level of, of commitment from them over and over, day in and day out, um, for a long, for like years, you know, and like whoever's in there, they, they get those guys to buy in. Like, um, one of the, the stories I always tell people at, at New England, like one of my first team meetings that we had over there after um, one of our mini camps is, they call it like a humble pie meeting. And what happens when you go in there is like he, he MFs everybody if you mess up at practice, right? And it's a, just a team meeting. And I remember one of the first people he MFed was Tom Brady and, and Randy Moss because they messed up like a, a route combo together. And I remember him cussing at, at Tom Brady so bad. I was like, and I'm a grown man at the time, and I'm terrified. Like, man, I can't mess up. I can't mess up. And if I do, he's going to kill me. Right, and then, so I have a day where I jump offside three times in one day, right? And then I know, like, we go into that meeting. I know I'm gonna come on the uh, on the board, and when he comes up, he's like, "This guy, fuck yeah!" What? <laughs> and he just starts ripping, right? And he starts ripping me, and like, dude, I felt so small at that time. But I remember the lesson was like, dude, if he can rip Tom Brady like that, like, nobody else can really say anything. He's gonna have the ability to to control the whole room just by his ability to control. Um, the best player in the NFL. So I think that's what they do that is so unique is their ability to control those those alpha personalities. Do you take anything that you've learned from your coaches to your personal life, maybe to your parenting? Yeah, so a, a lot of that stuff is – so one of the big things I think they do or they talk about is like I talk about in coaching is I say they don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know, and I, I think that's the two ways in coaching that you can lose players – the fastest, right? If the kid knows or doesn't believe that you care about them or the kid knows that you don't know what you're talking about, right? So the first thing you have to do is prove to those kids that you care about them. And then you have to prove to them that you know what you're talking about. But if you only prove to them you know what you're talking about, they're still not going to care, right? So there's there's a sequence to it. Um, and that's something I take into my into my life with my girls. It's like first, you have they have to know like I care about them and not, obviously they know I'm their dad, but they have to know it in like my actions and like, you know, I can't just say you have to do stuff this way because um, I said so. It has to be more like this is – you have to do stuff this way because this is, like, the lessons I've learned. Um, you know, just kind of going back to the question you asked a while ago, like that was something my parents did was, like, no, you do stuff this way because that's how you're supposed to do it. Like there was no, like, negotiating at the time. Yeah. It was, like, very, very strict. They ran stuff the way they wanted to. Um and we just had to listen. And if we didn't, it was you. You got beat, or you, you know, like literally, you know, you got yeah. you got beat. And uh, and that's something that I've I, I've gone away from. Is like, you know, I'm not overly. I mean, and they're girls, so it's a, I think it's a little different. But right. um, yeah, I take that philosophy with me, even to my girls. Like first, I, they have to know like why I'm asking them to do stuff a certain way is because. You know, I care about them in their long run. And it's not just because I'm like, who cares? You're only in seventh grade. This stuff's not going to matter in 10 years. But their life is only about, like, a week at a time, you know. So I have to show them, like, I care about your week at a time perspective. You know, I care, like, this will help you in the long run. Um, 
And then there's just the other part of it, it's just about being like super patient with them and understanding when I was a kid, I mean, even when I was an adult, you know, I made so many mistakes that um, they're gonna make some too and I just have to be patient and, and, and work with them. Why, what, what, uh, what's it like getting cut? So you got cut from, <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm, I'm wondering just like the, so I, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends and, and it just seems, I'm, I'm, I'm more talking about dealing with failure, right? Or feeling, or, or just doubting yourself. No, getting cut is one of the worst. It's one of the worst feelings because one of the things is you've built your life up for like that's who you are, you know, like that's your whole identity up to that point. And for me, it was like that was my whole world. And when the first time I got cut, I remember we had just had Michaela. She's my oldest, and we had just had her. Um, and when I went back, we we stayed with my parents or um, my wife's parents. And I wouldn't come out of the room just to eat for like a month. I didn't come out of the room. And me and Michaela would just sit in the room. You know, I'd watch like Wedding Crash. There's like five movies I'd watch over and over. <laughs> and we would just sit in the room. And uh, I felt like my, my whole identity was kind of like stripped away, you know. And I didn't know who I was. Um, I felt like the biggest failure, you know. And I had put so much effort and work into that. Um, but, yeah, I remember the, the call when they tell you, like, hey, Steve, come upstairs bring your playbook and there's just this like it, your heart just kind of drops um, and yeah it, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting time so and then how do you how do you what how do you muscle through that like if you're trying to teach your kids a lesson through that experience um, you know what I mean maybe maybe there's someone listening who feels like man I just put everything into this you know what I mean? Uh, and now maybe they're starting a business or uh, maybe there are aspiring athletes that, that you know, want to make it. Um, what's your lesson to I mean, get through this low point or your advice? Yeah, so to me, I think, I think the lesson happens before you get to that point, you know. And um, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in, in the book, um, you know, before we started. But in that book, I just talk about, like, finding your core and knowing who you are. Um, if you can do that before you get to that point, right, then you'll have a little bit more resiliency and, and you have a little bit more to, to hold on to. Even if you invested a lot into getting to that point, you know, it's not just totally who you are and you're not just like bankrupt um, emotionally. So I think a lot of it starts before you get to that. But if you get to that point and you haven't, you know, then I think it goes to the cliche of, you know, then you got to find your why, um, what gets you out of bed. And that was Michaela. Like, so for a month, me and Michaela would just lay in the room and I'd, I'd sit there and watch it. Um, but then after that, I had an opportunity to go play NFL Europe. Um, and that, that was kind of like, I was still depressed, but I'd get up every day because of her and go work out and, and try to get better. And it was mostly because of her. And, that, and that's kind of how what got me out of that funk. And then once I started to get back into a groove of it, um, that helped me. But yeah, I think the, the find your why is a good point. If you have nothing else to hold on to, you need to figure out something you're, um, that can motivate you. But I don't really uh, love that. <laughs> I don't love this. I know a lot of people love that saying, but I don't. Um, but I find your way. Yeah. So, with, you know that book how, how I was talking about it in that book I'm writing. Um, I talk about core. So I say who is greater than why, and I say like you need to figure out who you are before why. You know. So for me, it was a. Um, 
it wasn't a motivation problem as much as an identity problem, you know. So I had to figure out my identity first. And that's one of the issues I've run into over and over and over again until this point. And this is the first time I really stepped back and thought, well, who am I really? And that's why I, I've never loved the find your why um, because I feel like that's something like you look, when you look outside of you for inspiration and stuff, I don't ever think it lasts. But um, as I was writing this book and going through therapy, that's where I got to this point of like find your core. And the way I say it is like, um, who is greater than why? Like once you figure out who you are, then you can get to this point of like uh, finding motivation. And uh, But if you don't know who you are, you know, your why is always gonna kind of run out. Um, but I know it's an unpopular opinion. So that's just my kind of theory or opinion um, is first you gotta figure out it's an identity thing. Then once your, your identity at your core is set, then you can go to this um, motivational and figuring out why. And then I think there's there's two whys. There's the motivational why of what inspires you, and then there's this why of like just kind of uh, why it's important or who I am or like you know um, I think Michael Jordan wanted to be the very best just because um, that's who he is. But that's why like that was something that was so important to him. Like it was a why for him too. Do you know? Yeah, so it came from, it was internal rather than yeah. someone telling him, hey, you should uh, by the way you should be the best in the world. Yeah, well, yeah, you should be the best in the world. And, you know, like, so as he's trying to be the best in the world and he's tired and he's like, they're like, remember your why. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the best in the right. world. And instead, it's like, that's not how I think it happens. And I don't know because I'm not the best in the world or anything. But um, I feel like there's just this, like, drive inside of them that's like, it's why you just keep going, right? It's not like I'm looking around looking for some kind of motivation outside of me. There's just this internal um force inside of you that 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 propels you to to your goals i'm a believer of that i uh, you mean working on the internal before external right i think a lot of you know, I mean a lot of theories or philosophies maybe in the genre of self-help maybe focus on exterior things but um i i'm a believer of what i think we're saying the same thing if you've focus on you internally, the external stuff will maybe just be a byproduct of, you know what I mean, like, of what, you're, what you fix or what your core is. Um, I want to go and, and, and talk about two things. You mentioned it, so you're, you're writing a book, um, and then you also have a, uh, a really high-level content uh, Instagram page called Impression. And... Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll start with the Instagram page, and then, then I'll, I have a couple questions about this book that you're writing. Um, with the with impression, how did how did that start? Um, yeah, how did that start? Yeah, so it started really on a whim. I was uh, listening to this um, David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, I listened to it. I love it. So anyways, there's this part in there where he talks about 101 without training, right, where he goes and runs that thing without training. And around the same time, like in that same week when I heard that, that became my motto for life. And in that same time, I talked, me and my brother, uh, <clears throat> me and my brother Les and my, my cousin Dave Numetolo, we were on this text chat and we're just, you know, just talking. Um, and we're like, we need to start something. And I was like, well, I want to do this thing um, where I go interview these guys. I want to create a message for these kids. And I want it to be really quick impressions, right? So I want it to be little quick snippets. Um, the kids just like they watch it for a minute and then you know they move on um and so dave was like let's do it he's like 
let's do it. We're going to go out. We're going to interview all these guys. So we just decided right there, all right, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to put this thing together. And then I just started reaching out to my friends in the um, in the business, you know, in, in athletics. And I just asked them, hey, can we interview you for our page? You know, they were all willing. Um, and that's pretty much how it started. But really what Impressions resembles is at the same time I was going through therapy um, and I decided I, or I, I kind of carved out these five areas of um, these five stages of therapy for me. So the first one is what I call provoke thought. And that's like one of my favorite things about therapy is it really makes you think, you know, like really deep dive and reflect on yourself and get to know who you are. Um, and you do that really by like the well, therapist asks you like difficult questions and they kind of guide you where they want you to um, dig more. So I wanted to create something to resemble my stages of therapy. And that was the first one. It's like, so I call it provoked thought, but that's what I do with the impression interviews is those are just made to help people think like deeper than um, the normal surface answers. And and my idea is we're going to tell other people's stories while they're kind of telling my story. So my part of the story is those are my questions and those are my um, issues that I struggled with. And then their part of the story is it's their answers Right, and then what the the viewer gets out of it is when they're watching it, right? They get to see two perspectives: my my question, their answer, and then um, makes them think for their own self and, and their own life. So the, the page resembles my stages of therapy, and that's the first one we've got to is is just provoke thought. Um, but it really all just started on a whim with three guys texting, and we decided to go out and do it. Well, it's uh, it it's um high level performers that you have on there. So I want to plug if you if you're listening feel free to put pause on this and go look at Steve's page. Uh it's called Impression. We have there's guys you have like you mean a lot of local guys Kalani yep. Sitake is on there. Um uh you have Reggie Bush and Greg Oden, Urban Meyer of course. Uh Lewis Powell you have you have interviewed on there too. Um a lot of high-level performers, which was, uh, you know I mean, I think to maybe me as just an average Joe, you mean, seeing people who answer these questions who performed at a high level, there's a lot of value in that for me. I mean, so um, if you if you get a chance, please check out the page because I think, um, you know, I mean, these these guys sharing their knowledge on on these questions that are personal to you, um, like you said, you're getting really kind of two perspectives. In, in one place and so it, it is a lot of value for for you to, to uh, take a take a look at and follow uh, the page um, after you've interviewed everybody what's kind of your biggest takeaway from phase one of provoke thought yeah so my big takeaway from that is kind of uh, the same thing that I've been saying is when you see these elite level people you see there is a strong core and like that was my big takeaway is like you see there's such a, a there's such a people that like stick to their strengths of who they are. You know, nobody nobody's really trying to be the other person or somebody else. Um, they're all like they know their strengths. They stick to them. They're themselves. I think that was the biggest thing. The other thing, there's a little bit of separation with from like I interviewed Urban, um, like Kyle Whittingham, you know, Gary Galani, like the head coaches, and you can see there's just there's just these little steps of. Um, how their thoughts are so much clearer, you know, because they're in charge of so much more. <clears throat> you can see that the the guys that are in charge of a lot have such a clear level of thinking, um, and then there's such a, a command in the, the way they communicate. 
Um, and that's like I, when you start watching these and, and you really pay attention to that as they're, they're talking, you can see that like level of, um, of clarity in their life, you know, and, and the older or the more they're in charge of. Like, so those are the two things I think you see is like there's just a pure, there's pure guys there. They're, they're who they are. Um, and I think that's why they're at such a high level. And then there is this, just this clearness to, to those leaders. And I think that's why they got to that level of leadership is because they have such a clear um, vision for what they want. That's awesome, man. Um, I want to also mention this book that, that, if it's okay that we talk about it, um, this book that you've been working on, um, the, the, the title of the book will be C's Get Degrees, which I think is a clever <laughs> title because it, it's not only is that kind of a, a catchy title in terms of like the saying C's Get Degrees, but you also use, um, you, you also, it's kind of a play on, on words where you, you kind of dive deeper into a lot of different principles uh, in operating uh, and within, you mean, a healthy mental state, if you will? Yeah, so like kind of the four things I, I wanted to hit on, um, the whole premise of the book is was built around, like the principles I got was from being around those three coaches, Urban, um, Nick Saban, and Bill Belichick, and that's where the book started was um, what makes these guys so much so successful and then again all of this stuff is coming into uh, kind of meshing together at the time that I walked away from coaching and got into therapy and this whole project started so then it became a mental a mental wellness so like the four things I talk about is just going from like being an average Joe to being your best self like being elite um, the other one is like how do you build a successful like sustaining culture um, mental and emotional wellness is, is a big part of it. And then one I think is real, um, <clears throat> um, one I think is real like kind of specific to the times is that systems are not made for every individual. You know, like system, every system, whether it's sports, you know, whether it's the government or, and what's going on right now, like most systems are designed for certain people to be successful. And then, you know, they don't always um, benefit everybody though. So like, the system, this system that I've built is made for individuals to take it and make it uh, customized to them. So, like it's about an individual. It's not about, um, this isn't for the masses. It's about for each and every one of us. Um, and that's, those are kind of the four things that I hit on with this, um, with this book. But yeah, it all goes back to, um, it all starts with your core, right? So like the, the core is the center of the, the, of the wheel. And then the first spoke that comes out is clarity. And the way I got to clarity was when I interviewed Urban for the book, I asked him, like, how do you build an elite culture and sustain it? And he's like, you have to give them clear, it has to be clear standards of what to do, how to do it, when they get it done. There has to be this high level of clarity. You know, and then, so I started reading and researching, like, is that true? Is that really? And I, and I would notice, like, that, that's what all these successful companies and even successful people, there's such this clear vision, you know? So, like, as I was going out, interviewing people like I interviewed Jay Hill and the success he's had at Weber um, you can just hear in his voice there's, there's such this clarity but you can just see with all these all these um, coaches that are coaching at a high level and doing stuff there is just such a clear vision for them right so once you have that strong core at least to this high level of, of clarity in your program or organization or even self and then that once you have that 
um, clarity, it leads to this level of competence, right? So like pretty much just talent, you, you maximize your competence level, right? You maximize your talent. Once you start to maximize your talent or your talent is growing and your competence is growing, then you start to see your confidence grow. And that's something I saw when, when Urban came to, to Utah, you know, when guys started to buy into his program and they saw results, you know, like success breeds confidence and, and there's just a, a, there's a cycle that happens with that. And then once you have that confidence, that leads to this level of commitment um, and commitment to me is, you know, I told you is conversation breeds commitment. So when you're confronted with a problem, right, what's going to happen is you're going to show who your true colors are, right? And like for me, I never got confronted. My talent was never confronted until I got to the NFL, right? And then that's where I had to go to my core and figure out who I was. And I wasn't strong enough at my core. Um, I had enough talent to play at the, at the NFL, but I didn't have enough um, commitment to, to make it there, right? So then once you have a strong level of commitment, that takes you to this level of consistency, right? Then once you have that consistency in place, that's what gets you this compound effect where you can just really get, start to get this thing to snowball, um, and then you build some momentum that way. And then there's there's several other things in the book, um, but that's kind of where the where it starts. So the C's just talks about each word. The degrees talks about like your level of um, investment in each one of those C's, you know. So. Um, yeah, it's just a play on words, and that's a, the, the saying that I lived by for a long time in, in, in college was C's get degrees, I just do enough to get by, and uh, in the end, it kind of ended up hurting me. Um, so, yeah, everything has, has kind of a double meaning, like, or there's layers to the yeah. to the wording of, of things. When you, so you, as you go through these spokes off of this core, right, um, and, and all these Words that start with the letter C, you have clarity, competence, confidence, um, commitment. Which one do you think uh, is the most important out of all those? So outside of everything, is, I think for sure core is the most important. Like right, knowing who you are, right, knowing everything about yourself, like who you are, why, um, being able to channel all this. So core is for sure the most important. The next one I would say is I think it's, it's commitment, right? So um, I really think there's, there's five there's five kind of uh, things in the book that I talk about that are that are super important. Core is number one, right? The introduction of my book, the, the chapter is choices, right? So like everything in your life is just a choice of which way you're gonna go. So I think that's, a, that's another one that's super important. Yeah. Um, commitment is super important. Um, and then, the, then there's one that's called change, or I call it challenge change, but that's my second level of uh, therapy. It's also in my book, um, but so that's, I think change is super important, and the reason I say challenge change um, is because there's some changes in your life that you have to challenge and make them, and then there's some changes that are going to happen regardless, and you have to be able to adjust to those, right? So there's, those are the, there's four, and then there's one that's a secret. That's my secret sauce. I can't tell, <laughs> but um, there's five, and I think those are the core. I think by far the most important, but then choices you make in your life, right? then the, uh, the amount of commitment you put into those choices, right, and then your willingness to be able to change um, and adjust to the times. And then the secret sauce one, I think, is kind of like, um, I think people love it. And then the reason I, I save that one is because I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of books, and I hate when books finish on, like, if there's 33 chapters, they finish on, like, chapter 30. And then you just have to read three more chapters. Just to, be, <laughs> just to finish, just to, just to say that you, I finished the book. So I hate when that happens. So my last chapter is the, 
is it really will, the will be the climax of it all. Yeah. So the, the the my last chapter is you have to read to that point to get the whole picture, um, and that's what I kind of like. It's like all the things I hate about books I've kind of changed into what I want this to. Uh, or I'm writing the book that I would want to read. Yeah. So uh, I, you started on kind of. Uh, Focusing on mental health, uh, not too long ago, you said last year? Or yeah, a August. Year, a year ago, almost a year ago. Um, since you've pivoted and, and made that shift to kind of focus more more on that and, and uh, even get more creative in terms of putting more time into the book, how have you developed as a person? I think it's been great for me. So I'm not in therapy anymore. I was in therapy for uh, probably three or maybe three or four months, and um, and it was great. And then um, now what I do is I have a lot of reflection time. So in the morning I do this thing, just a free write, where I, I set the timer 10 minutes and it's just whatever thoughts I have, you know, I spill it onto the page. Um, anything that's kind of going on in my life, you know, sometimes there'll be like something, something happened the day before, I'll just write in my journal and be like, okay, that's what we're going to uh, free write about tomorrow. So that's what I do in the mornings. And then what I do at, uh, at night is that, um, homework for life where I, I reflect on the day and I try to find they call it like these five second moments that you have this re- revelation of uh, of something in your life and, mm-hmm. and I reflect on, on every day and I try to find these five second moments whether it's my life or like whether I see something in my daughter's lives or whatever it is um, and then I have this philosophy of, of things that I do I call it three to one so it's um, I say you have you have hands you have eyes and you have ears Right, so you should write, read, and listen three to one to what you talk. You know, so like, nice. so I call it three, like three to one ratio. Like, um, I got it from this guy James Clear, who writes. He writes a book. Ah, I think it's Atomic Habits. He writes, but he has an awesome newsletter that he puts out, and it's three to one, and he does three quotes or three thoughts, two quotes, and a and a question or something like that. And mine's just kind of a play off that, but it's like three, the number three than T-O-1, and it's the ratio of, you know, you need to read, um, read, write, and and listen to one, um, whatever you're talking. So, like, after this podcast, I'm going to have to go and do a lot of reading. And <laughs> um, no, I know that you said you've been putting in uh, hours, a few hours a day in, into your book, so we'll, we'll be looking forward to it. What do you think is the biggest uh, misconception about uh, mental health or well-being? Uh, I think one of the biggest um, issues or problems is just the stigma behind it. You know, like, I know a lot of people still have that stigma of wanting to go and seek help. Um, The other thing I think is that I think a lot of people are scared because they think it's going to change them so much. And it it probably does. Um, But for me, at least, I think it, it like, brought out, like, the true who I am. And I think people are are scared of of change so much that they don't want to really be who they are. So... You know, I think if people can get over the, the stigma or the judgment of, of going and asking for help and get over the ability to, to, to um, face the changes in their life, like, I really think it can be beneficial. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think those are the biggest, those are the biggest issues, I, I'd say. And then um, something else is just, like, the levels of, um, there's so many levels to this. You know, it's so layered in, in so many ways. So... One of the things I'm kind of scared of with this is like this. So this is my third time I've quit drinking, right? So I started drinking when I was uh, like 13 or 14 years old. And then I quit before I got to uh, 
I quit before I got to college, and I, I, hadn't, I didn't drink in college for like two, maybe three years, and then I started again, and then I drank for like three or four years before I got to the NFL, and then once I was getting cut for the NFL um, my last time, I quit again, um, and I found, I, that's when I've, I got into faith really strong, right? So the first time I got into to faith, because my friend died in high school, um, he was actually an LDS kid, and he, he died on the football field. And I remember being at the funeral, um, and I was, I, you know, I was one of the pallbearers, and I remember at the funeral, like, his family was so strong. I was like, dude, I want to be like that when something bad happens to me. So I, I kind of stepped away, <clears throat> and I thought I was going to get baptized to be um, LDS, right? So I quit drinking, and, and like, I really changed my life. Um, and then that lasted until I got to college. And then when I got to college, I kind of got homesick, um, and that's where I fell back into this habit. And then right before I got cut from the NFL, I stopped again. Um, and I actually stopped before I got cut, so I thought I was going to make the team, and I got cut. Um, and then went on this long run of eight years where I didn't drink, right? And then so this is my this is my third time of, of quitting drinking and like trying to figure out what's going on in my life. And I'm, it's, what's kind of scary is that. Um, I've kind of already been through this. And what I'll say is different about um, therapy and, like, going through a faith base is, like, with, with faith, when it was faith-based, it was more like I was just sitting waiting on, on God to change my life. And, like, I was like, you just got to have faith. You got to have stronger faith. And whereas now, it's more like, okay, so these are my, like, I'm looking for my issues and, and trying to deal with them. Whereas before, it was like my, my issues are just going to get washed away. Um, so I'm excited about this new journey that I'm on with therapy. Um, however, I am also scared because I've kind of been down this road of relapse and, uh, you know, of struggling. Like when I'm, when life's not going great, you know, it's been easy for me to, uh, to go seek help and be like this. But then when life starts to, to kind of go my way, um, you know, I've always, I've kind of fallen away. So that's why I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with this, uh, with this journey on, on this time. So. Uh, what is uh, how important is support um, during this time, and what is what's your support system look like now as you're uh, muscling through this? Yeah, my support my support system is awesome. Uh, my parents and, and like my brothers and sisters, they're great, like very supportive. Um, I, I almost think it's like a hindrance to me because I know I can make mistakes and they'll always be there, you know. So I just gave a um, a little talk at my my cousin just graduated high school and I told him like um, something along those lines like don't take advantage of the love you know that um, your family has for you like they're always going to be here for you you mess up they're going to be here you know don't take advantage of that um, in a bad way like I did don't don't just keep coming back to them and be like hey I'm sorry can you help me you know take advantage of it in a way that you could use it for motivation so like my parents and my family are great and then my wife and my girls you know like they're so awesome um you know, they're always looking out for me, and they've put up with a lot. You know, they've put up with a lot of stuff that I, I've kind of put them through. Um, so all that stuff is, like, top-notch. And um, I don't know if everybody has that, but, like, what I have is is pretty cool. When you, uh, when you look back at um, your athletic days when you were uh, in high school, college, and, and your time in the NFL – um, and you look back now through the lens of, you mean, trying to be mentally healthy. Um, do you find times where you're like, man, maybe my mind wasn't right during this time, uh, but I just kind of 
you mean maybe as we talked earlier just put on the tough you know what I mean tough tonguing kid don't talk to me um like were there times like that for you that you can identify now that you mean when you look back yeah there's a lot I think there's a lot that pretty much what my whole career was was like be this tough guy you know like be this tough guy when you're out in public and then when you're um you know at home or by yourself you know that's when um you're looking for ways to kind of cope and I don't know if cope's the word or just looking for ways to uh, de-stress because you, you have to put on such a face for so long that um, it, it just becomes it becomes a burden and you have to figure out ways to, to relieve some of that stress. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues just in, in college sports and youth or uh, high school sports is that everybody is trying to find themselves. Um, and you don't know at the time you don't know that you're you're like kind of faking your way through it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But uh, for the most part, you feel like you're being a genuine person, or at least I thought I was being a, a genuine person. Um, <clears throat> but it's just easier now for me looking back to to be like, oh, you know, these are the moments when um, you know I was trying to be somebody I'm not, and and trying to do stuff for for other people. So and then again, I think regardless of of what you're doing, like the behaviors and the choices you're making. Regardless, it's, there's going to be a compound effect, you know, like if you do those behaviors over and over. So even if you're doing bad behaviors over and over, you know, that's going to compound into a lifestyle of, uh, you know, of bad results and then what you want, what you don't want. You know, so I, I have this saying I say is like life is like calories, you know, so <laughs> life, life is like calories. And it's pretty much just talking about the choices you make. But like, you know, like my body reflects like the amount of calories that I take, you know, like my life reflects the choices I make over and over and over again you know like so if I have one soda you know that's not bad but if I have like several sodas over a lifetime of like if I keep saying like oh I just had one soda but I do that for like years that one soda kind of adds those calories kind of add up and like that's that's what you get that's what I I got this body you know so um, my life is just kind of like calories like the choices you make even if they're small and you seem insignificant at the time, they eventually like start to compound and, and snowball into whatever the results are you're getting. And then that's what I've noticed in my life is like I've kept getting all these average results. And when I really believe in my like inside of me that I have uh, more to offer the world, but I kept getting these average results. So it's just the choices that I'm making. I think that that are leading to that to that end. Uh, one more question before our last question. But what would your advice be to someone who's listening who thinks that they might be dealing with, you know what I mean? And, and you said, you mean, what mental health is, there's layers upon layers upon layers and, you mean, forevermore after that. Um, but uh, maybe someone who's listening thinks that they might be dealing with, you mean, one of these layers or maybe a few of them, uh, of, you mean, in terms of struggling with their mental health. Um, but they're just kind of keeping it to themselves. What would your advice be to to someone who's going through that? Yeah, I think that's the worst thing you could do is just kind of like hold it all in and keep it to yourself. I would, <clears throat> me personally, I highly encourage like anybody to reach out. You know, most people are compassionate to um, to these to things that people are going through. And like, if you're going through something, I think one of the best things you can do is is just reach out to somebody and, and find somebody you can chop it up with. And, um, get some of that stuff off your chest. I think that other ways that like if you don't feel like talking to other people about it is I love the journaling that um, you know it's finding some type of uh, a way for you to vent and, and put that stuff just get it out from um, 
off your chest. You know, like that's what I was saying about the provoked thought about therapy is not only um, did it make me like look deep inside and reflect on myself, but it also forced me to like articulate these emotions um, and, and say stuff. And like, I remember saying stuff in there and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that, but it was just started coming out, you know, like, um, and I mean, you know, I, you don't know me that well, but like most people that know me, they know like, I don't like to talk, you know, I don't like to be the center of attention. Um, and that's why it's so interesting that I've, I've decided to go this road of like, seeking all this attention because for so long I've tried to hide that side of me uh, but this is what therapy kind of brought out of me it was like I have a lot to say and I have a lot to share with the world um, so now I, I want to get out there and and, and share it um, whereas before I used to always just be like kind of hide or the people who knew me really well would be like man Steve's you know like he's smart but if you don't know me you're probably like Steve's an idiot man he don't talk yeah. like, you know though like, you don't like if you would never hear me talking and stuff, you'd just be like, you hear me say like just one-off stuff and be like, what's that guy talking about? And then, but if you get like people that really know me and get to sit with me, they're they're like, oh, you know, like Steve knows he's smart and, and he has like good thoughts. But most people they don't get to see this side uh, of who I am and that like. So I, that that really for me came from therapy was getting in that in that groove of just like spilling your guts and, and feeling comfortable with it. And that, I'm still trying to overcome it with the um, social media page of like that fear of judgment and rejection. Like I still have some of that, um, but that's something I'm working through and, and like it's a slow process. So um, I'm really, I hope I can do it for the long run. And like I said earlier, it's just, um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I think, um, I think what you're doing is uh, profound and, and uh, noble for sure. I think um, we had talked, we connected over social media. Um, and when I saw what you were doing, I just sent you a quick message. I was like, man, this is going to impact a lot of people. And I think even, you mean, we could even talk about culture too and how that plays because there is, you mean, mental health already has a stigma attached to it that you mean, um, that you mean, I think a lot of people in society now are trying to tear away you know what I mean this this yeah. stigma but then once you add being a Polynesian to it you know what I mean that's like some that's a whole nother aspect you know what I mean like where I think maybe the 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 Polynesian culture is is similar to maybe the old uh, cowboy adage just rub some dirt on it and oh, yeah. you mean don't, don't worry about it you're, you're fine you know what I mean just just push it back but I think uh you being uh, who you are and, and um, even what you've accomplished uh, and you have a unique voice that I think that will um, reach, you I mean your circle of influence is, is maybe larger than the, the typical average Joe. I know that you refer to yourself as the average Joe sometimes, but definitely not because, uh, because of what you're doing. I think you will have a, a, a big impact, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, I, I'm excited about it. And then <clears throat> just as far as, like, average Joe, I I think we just – it's all – I think Dave just told me this, but it's really just all your perspective or maybe Hema. But they're just like, you know, it's just your perspective of, of who you are. And I think that's what a lot of mental health is, is, like, just switching your perspective um, and seeing stuff from a from a different lens or, you know, um, hearing yourself say it a different way can, can really be – um, useful, but like for me, that's just my perspective. Is because, you know, I don't feel like I ever accomplished everything I wanted to, um, and that's the that's kind of my goal is to help others 
just reach their full potential and, and not have those regrets that I did. When uh, when you consider all that, even even some of the regrets and and the highs and the lows of of your life journey to this point, um, what are you most grateful for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, huh. I don't know what I'm the most. I mean, I think there's some there's some like obvious ones. Like I'm super grateful for my my family, like we talked about earlier. Um, but just as far as the journey, you know, I, I just maybe it's just the, the people that I've got to meet um, and, and be around. You know, I like I am lucky that I have a perspective of these three, you know, um, three different coaches. But those are not the only great coaches I've been around. I really just picked those names because like anybody would that doesn't know football would probably know those names. And it's yeah. like real popular. But like I've been around Kyle Whittingham. He's an, an elite level coach. You know, like Kalani is a. Kalani came to Utah my senior year, you know, so I got to watch um, Kalani grow as a coach, and he's a, he's a great coach. He's a great person. Um, but all the, all the guys in this state, like Jay Hill, um, Gary Anderson, all four of those guys were on staff when, when I played my last year at Utah, and I, I remember all of them as great coaches. Um, but, yeah, those relationships you get around. And then I got to play with Sione and, um, and Lewis yeah. and, and Morgan, you know, so like those guys are my friends, and the same thing like watching them grow up and become so successful. And I did a radio show a little while ago, and they asked me like, "Would you? Did you know that uh, all these guys would be in coaching?" And I was like, "I knew Shona and Lewis would be coaches because the only way Urban Meyer would ever control me was to tell Shona or Lewis to be like, "Hey, go get Steve and like calm him down." You know, like, <laughs> so like anytime I needed, I had to, they had to get me. It was like tell Shona or Lewis to go get Steve and tell him to be quiet. Um, so I always knew those two would be like leaders, um, and I think they're like the perfect fit for for Utah. You know, like they fit the culture here so well. They they're the ones that raised up a lot of these um, kids over there. So I, I yeah, just those relationships. I think is something. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good question. No, I I I, I love the response because um, maybe maybe just to wrap up, you mentioned in this book that you're writing. Um, every chapter you focus on maybe uh, like someone who kind of was a great example of confidence or clarity or competence and a lot of these end up being your teammates Uh, like I think you you played with Alex Smith and he was an example of clarity you mentioned Um, Sione Pauha was was another one and so I think uh, I think for the listeners if if you're like me I think we're eager to to see the book Any, any idea on when the book uh, will be released? No. <laughs> well, I've written I've written probably um, ten chapters, and there's gonna be there's gonna be forty, um, and then there's five there's five um, section breaks that'll each have something. So I'm at ten. So I'm about a third way there. But I really only want the book to be I want it to be like something that you can pick up and read in a day. So I want it to be about like 150 pages, 200 pages max. Um, and then it's really pretty much all stories, like you said, you know. So the core story, I compare myself to Quinton Ganther and Lewis and how they had such a strong core. Then clarity is Alex Smith, like you said. Competence one is, is interesting. It's going to be Halotti. Um, and that's pretty much the max level of talent you could have. <laughs> you know, like God made him a football player. <laughs> and I compare myself to him. So, like, that one will be a good one. Um, and then so competence, confidence, I'm comparing myself to Eric Weddle. 
and that commitment. You know, I compare myself to Steve Smith, and, and I tell that story. Um, and consistency, you said Sione Bohol will be consistency in just who he is. And then the compound is where it starts to go into the coaching. But I think that's one of the best things that Urban does anywhere he goes is he gets that uh, flywheel going super fast. And he generates momentum, and then he builds on that momentum. Um, and I just kind of tell the story of I remember when he came to Utah and how he built that momentum and, and got it going. Um, yeah, then there's – then there's other ones. So like the next, you know, the, I, there's another layer of it where it's like real precise of how you, you mix your personality. And um, so what I do there is I take myself as a coach and then I talk about these stories about kids that I had as players and how we interacted. And, um, you know, like, so I talk about, you don't, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. So I talk about care and like how I was really good at that with kids. But I had a bad connection with kids because with, with people in general, it's because I always had that like standoff personality of trying to be too cool. So I always lacked this level of connection to people. Um, so like that's a, that's that next layer of of stuff. Well, Chiefs, man, we're we're excited, Steve. Appreciate you uh, stopping by and, and sharing some wisdom. We'll have to have you on again because uh, I, I I think we're excited to hear some of these sneak peek stories with uh, with some of these high level performers, man. Thanks. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it.